Hello and welcome to another Sporting CP podcast. My name is Carl Santos. I'm the host of this podcast. And it is, uh, what I already know what the day of the week it is. Thursday, July 16th. And in today's podcast, we're going to be taking a look at a couple things only. Not too long. We're going to look at yesterday's game, the 2-0 defeat to Porto. And then we'll look a little bit of, talk a little bit about transfers because I think that's relevant uh, given the time of year and some of the news hovering around the club. So, in the game, it was a 2-0 defeat to sporting maybe not too surprising i think a lot of folks even the optimistic sporting fans hopefully were thinking that although things have looked very good under ruben amram and a lot of these young players uh, there was still a pretty good chance that porto was a more a nuanced team a more deep and complete team a more battle ready team that, that lineup's been playing all year together for the most part sporting's lineup is still in flux a bit with uh, with amram coming um, so I'm not too surprised that Sporting lost. Uh, I am actually a bit surprised at how well they played all in all. I mean, the game was um, far more even than 2-0 suggests. Ruben Amram said it and many Sporting players said it. Um, and yet there's something we can learn, I think, from here. So overall, let me say this. I think Porto deserves credit in this regard. One, First of all, they're champions. So like it or not, they deserve credit. They are the ones who have uh, won out the season. That's fair. But I think yesterday, um, to be honest, I think Ruben Amram was outcoached by Sergio Conceição. Um, and I think that because the both players, both both managers would have come in with a game plan. They know the other team. And uh, Conceição and Pepe and a couple others in, in their post-game comments had said, you know, we, we knew Sporting was playing well. We knew they had these young, talented, vibrant, and really dynamic players. And we, we had a plan to shut them down. And they did it. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about that specifically. And I think they did it well. And Ruben Amram, although Sporting looked really sharp in the first few minutes, I mean, they came out blazing. They scored that offside goal. It didn't count, but they're really blazing in, what, 19 seconds in or something? Um, they looked they looked good. I think the first 11 minutes of the game, Sporting looked really sharp. And I was like, wow, this is better than I expected. Um, but then things settled into the game plans. And I think over the course of the game, we saw something I've pointed out in the podcast uh, was exposed in Sporting's lineup that Porto saw. And in a nutshell, what that thing was is Porto was able to neutralize Sporting's attack. And the way they did it, I mean, what they both, I think both teams had eight shots um, in total, Sporting only putting two on target, I believe it was, and four on target for Porto. So it wasn't exactly a a high offensive game. Um, But I think that suited Porto brilliantly. You look at the very lineups. I've mentioned how when you have this formation that Ruben Amram uses, which is good, it's okay. I think uh, Mikel Arteta is using the same thing in, in Arsenal, or similar, um, anyway, with the three backs and only a couple of midfielders, and then the wideouts, and then I I guess Arteta's using uh, Lacazette up front with Obama Yang and Pepe and, and guys. But um, when you have that little not much in the center, only two guys in the center. Not only do those players have to be really dynamic and move back and forth really well, transition well, pivot well, but it means you're going to have a more direct gameplay, meaning you're going to go from center backs to forwards a lot. And if you look at the amount of um, long balls that Sporting has has thrown out over the last few games against Morelense, they, they had 62 long balls. That means balls that are flying a good distance towards the forwards to bypass the midfield to try to catch guys off guard and that's pretty normal when you have 
speedy wingers. You're trying to transition quickly, take advantage of your of the mismatches and speed on the wings. They had 62 long balls and more rents, 70 versus Santa Clara, but only 45 versus Porto. So this, they, they, the game plan just wasn't able to work. And the reason was, first, Porto was pressing high. But also, because what happens is, because Porto was pressing and dominating the midfield, clogging that midfield, and they, I think they really did a good job with um, their guys, uh, Otavio, uh, Luis, uh, Loom, Pereira. These guys were dominating and bullying the midfield because they had numerical superiority at very least. Um, not to mention the fact that I'm a little surprised that Ruben Amram went with Mateusz Nunes in the middle with uh, Wendell, only because... I mean, he's a great player. He's a good young player, but he's a good young player. I thought I would have thought Bataglia or Dumbia would have got the start in this game to bring some more calmness uh, to the middle, but that's okay. Um, but Porto clogs the midfield, and if you were to find, there's a few websites that will do it. If you're if you're savvy in your stat, uh, how you look up stats in games, and you look at the positioning of where players spent most of their time on the heat maps and things, you're going to see that Sporting versus the games versus Santa Clara and Morienz, Morienz and of course, those are weaker teams. But against those clubs, Sporting is able, because they control the ball, can spread out. So they're they're far, the, I mean, the three at the back are spread out wide. I talked about it last week, how Karezma and, um, well, Acuna, of course, really got far onto the flanks and were able to feed balls along the wing. Well, in this game, they were far more condensed because they didn't have the ball as much. They didn't have the dominance of the other clubs. So they were forced to really come in and condense, and they couldn't distribute the ball. They were pressured, so they couldn't distribute the ball well. And the same thing, because they were pressured more by and losing the ball in the midfield, the forwards had to come back. So again, if you look at the heat maps, you're going to see that guys like Gonzalo Plata and you know, well, Cabral, Cabral doesn't come back too much. But when he did, they all were coming back far more. And you begin to see that Sporting's shape was far smaller. They were much more tight against Porto. And that's to be expected. It's a far superior team to Morerens and Santa Clara. But um, because that happened, and it didn't look like Ruben Amram had planned for it as much because they didn't have a way to get out. You know, there's ways to stop the high press. There's ways to, to, to deal with teams that clog the midfield. And it didn't look like Sporting had a great answer for it. And they were looking for individual performances to come out. Um, and that's, again, to be expected, it's new young players, but I think that was the biggest issue. I think Porto did a better job of just playing their game to stop sporting and wait for those opportunities. And they took one on the, on the set piece and the corner kick with Pareda scoring and then Marega scoring on the, uh, on the, the snafu, <laughs> the error by sporting. Um, but that's in general, I think what happened, if you watch the game, I think you'll see the same things. It was just a tighter game. Sporting couldn't play the game they were used to. Now, individual performances, um, I'll say again, I think Mate, um, Nuno Mensch on the left side, I think this guy is the best player on the field a lot of the time. He was, I think he was the best player for sporting again yesterday. Um, he had two key passes, 86 touches. Uh, WhoScored.com gave him a 7.4 rating uh, for the game, which is the highest of any sporting player. Uh, a couple of dribbles, two tackles, five interceptions, two clearances. He completed three of six crosses. Um, he completed th uh, three of his eight long balls as well. Um, he was the most active. When he had the ball on the left side, he was able to do some things against Manafa and his coverage over there. Uh, to be to be fair, Rostovsky was facing uh, Alex Tellis on the other side, and um, and it was a bit tougher for him over on the other end. But I think he played really well. Um, 
and uh, bring Bora into uh, to play on the bottom black three. Not a too, too big a surprise there. Um, you know, Coates always looks pretty okay. There's some issues there, but when you're playing top teams and top forwards, you're gonna sometimes make some slip ups. Uh, Nunes, um, Mateusz Nunes actually didn't look too bad uh, as well. I thought he looked pretty good. There was one one play of of Mateusz Nunes uh, in the 23rd minute. I wrote it down that looked specifically. It kind of cap encapsulated the whole sporting approach to yesterday's game. He gets the ball in the midfield on the right side of the midfield, and he dances around a couple Porto players, and he's looking for somebody to pass to, but there's no one. He ends up dancing around for about four, five, six seconds, and he loses the ball eventually. And that was pretty much what happened. Sporting was outnumbered in the middle. Their players weren't supporting well. I mean, if you look at the maps again, you'll see Cabral was coming back a lot uh, to try to help, but it just wasn't enough. They couldn't find outlets. They couldn't play their game. They were completing about 10% less of their passes than they normally would. Uh, they just didn't do well with the high press. Um, again, let me just again state my disappointment with Andre Sparar. Um, I know, I think there's some people, maybe people still big fans of his. I don't know. I have seen nothing in the last handful of games. Yesterday, 44% pass completion. Not surprising. But he also only had 17 touches again. And he's... A sport, you know, strikers don't get a ton of touches, so that's understandable. But in a game like this, he wasn't coming, tracking back to help. He wasn't doing much to press. He, okay, in the first few minutes, I shouldn't say that. In the first few minutes, I actually wrote a note out that he was moving across the front. He was kind of roving left to right across the whole field, tracking back. It looked good. But in time, he just didn't do anything. He had no shots on net again. Um, uh, I just don't see... And I, I suppose maybe he was hanging out front, a deep waiting for a counterattack and hoping for a long outlet pass uh, if they caught Porto uh, unawares. But again, he just looked like dead weight. And this we'll, we'll talk about him later when we talk about Pedro, Men, uh, Pedro Mendes as well. Um, so Sparrow didn't look great. Midfield for Porto looked good, uh, which not too surprising there. Um and Sporting just couldn't uh, do what they would have been doing lately, which is they continued to work the ball down the left-hand side. I think still half of their attacking plays were still down the left-hand side as opposed to the center or the right. So they still tried to go through Nuno Mendes and, uh, and, and Jovan Cabral, but it just it wasn't coming off. Um, I did like what I saw at the, at the end. Of course, by then the game was lost, and they started to, to dominate control a bit. Uh, that was to be expected. Porto knew they had the championship in the bag. Um, but they started looking better going uh, as they committed more men forwards. They took off, uh, Karezma came off, Ruben Emrim took him off and brought in um, Joelson. So they brought in extra forwards. Now these young guys didn't do so well. They only had a few minutes to, to really work. But um, yeah, that was sporting. It was kind of what I expected. Um, they played better in some ways. I did like. I still like what I see. I still got to be honest. I'm still optimistic about what I see with sporting. But it does show that I think we still need some players. And with that, let's move on to the transfer news. So we know, um, and I think I reported through this through the Instagram accounts a couple days ago that uh, Verandas didn't join the team right away in Porto because he was finalizing deals. Apparently, from what I heard, um, for a few different players, for uh, Pedro Poro, if you guys know him, he was a uh, right back for Manchester City, still is, and he's been on loan for a while, a couple of seasons now. And um, it looks like he's going to go back out on loan again and sporting uh, seem to be the ones who are going to get him. Now, he's a great young player. I'm actually, I, I like Pedro Poro. Um, 
So uh, interesting to bring him in. I'm assuming he's coming in because we know Valentin Rossier is interested in leaving now. He's played, I think, only eight games or something. Hasn't got the exposure he was hoping for. He's clearly not in Ruben Amarim's plans by the look of it. So he wants out. So he's probably going to go. Pedro Porro is coming in. Pedro Porro is a guy who is more accustomed to playing in um, in a system like Ruben Amram's. He plays a right wing back position, kind of like uh, Ricardo Jao, um, the um, uh, former sporting man, now at Braga. He's used to playing the positions. He's young, but he's he's familiar with it. And I think there's going to be a buyout clause, which I'd like to see because I think Pedro Porro is going to be a good player. Uh, so he's one of the guys Verandas apparently was finalizing a loan for this year. Uh, Vitorino Antunez, we've talked about him. He plays for Hatafe. Well, I think he's a free agent now. And um, looks like he's coming to play on the left-hand side with the imminent departure of Marcos Acuna. And um, and Zuhair Fadal, we've talked about a, a number of times, coming from Real Batiste to take the left side of the back three from uh, Jeremy Mathieu, who has retired due to injury. So that looks like it's going to happen. Now, the other news we talked about on our Instagram account was also that Pedro Mendes, our, our young guy who was, I believe he was a top scorer in the, for the B team before he was called up and given a, a pro contract with the big team um, as striker, he is also clearly not going to fa- factor into Ruben Amram's plans. I mean, he's got to be, how do you not take it personally if you're Pedro Mendes when you get called up? You're given these promises that you're going to get some playing time. You've done well. You've done everything right. But then you come up and play, and Luis Philippe gets injured. So you think, okay, even more of a chance for me to play. But then they bring in Andre Sparar, and every time Sparar is subbed out, if he's subbed out, the only guy who's coming in is Thiago Tomas, another young guy who is not as you know has not necessarily had the the pedigree of, of playing on the big team as much. So I understand Pedro Mendes wants to go out. I completely understand. I, I put a poll up on the Instagram account, and most of you guys agreed as well. I think two thirds of you, sixty seven percent, agreed that um, he it makes sense to sell him. To and he's got a few suitors. Some of the championship teams in the, in England are interested uh, in him. Uh, so he looks like he'll be on his way out, meaning Tiago Tomas will be getting uh, more playing time. We'll see about Luis Philippe, Andre Sparar. I've told you already, I would like to see a striker come in. I don't think Andre Sparar is the guy for this team. Um, uh, so we'll see what happens in the offseason. I've heard very little about strikers coming in, though, So I, that, which leads me to think that maybe Ruben Amram's content with the squad he's got with Luis Philippe, Sparar, and Tiago Tomas. Um, okay. I hope not, but I think that's <laughs> what it looks like. Uh, and lastly, I'll just mention Joelson, um, who, actually, you know, he played only for a few minutes yesterday, but he had the ball a couple times. He did typical young kid things, so he held the ball a little too long at times, a little too many too many moves, but, um, you know, he looked good. He was able to get a good cross into the middle near the end there that, um, that uh, created, a, I think, a corner kick it created for us. Um, but his, his contract talks apparently have been stalled a little bit, not because... Excuse me, not because it's not going to happen, but because he and his manager want Holdo for a slightly lower release clause. We've mentioned this before. So I think the club wants 80 million release, uh, 80 million euros. At the, and Joelson at the, at the time wanted 60 million, but now I think they're willing to compromise at somewhere around 70, but the club may not be interested in that. I, I can't imagine this is not going to happen. They're going to come to some conclusion. There's no doubt about that. It's just a matter of when. 
Okay, friends, and with that, let's let's close this week's podcast. So we'll be back after the next game. And Sporting's next game is against uh, Vittoria Stubel um, on the 21st, I believe it is. And we'll be back with the podcast to summarize that and the week's events in Sporting. Hope you're having a great week, everybody. Keep uh, interacting with me on Instagram and email me questions if you want to talk about something. If you have anything you want me to address on the podcast, just let me know. In the meantime, Forza Lions. Have a great week, guys. <laughs>